I put more time and effort into the preparation than whomever I'm dealing with. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. Joe Favorito is with me today, as usual. Joe, good to be back for another show. Thanks, Tom. We are, for people listening, we are now into November, believe it or yes, not. Yes, and what that means is it's we're in the thick of football season, which I'm, as a fan, very happy about. Um, and I know it's really good for the business because there's been some really good stuff happening um, with NFL votes and NFL on television still dominating the legacy media business of television, which we talk about a lot. But we are really happy today, and we're going to jump right in because we have limited time with an industry luminary, a name familiar to many of you. Um, and he is a veteran of the sports business, but he is a rookie, I think, technically, in academia. Uh, and he's spending his rookie season with us at Columbia in the sports management program. We're talking about uh, the uh, well-known uh, and esteemed football expert, Mike Tannenbaum. Mike, welcome to the show, officially. Great to be with you guys. How are you doing? Oh, right. so now, uh, now you have to, right. before we get started, he's got to sing the fight song. Just kidding. I don't even know what the Columbia <laughs> fight song is. So go ahead. Is, is there one, Joe? I, I didn't realize that. Something about Of course, it, it's, it's got to be. There's got to be a fight song. Something about Hamilton. Anyway, we'll keep going. So. And, and I know as a fan, I'd love to have kind of a WFAN type conversation with them, but th that's not in the cards for today. So we thought maybe we'd actually explore this brand new class that Mike is teaching at Columbia, because number one, it's quite interesting. Number two, it's quite timely since we're in the middle of football season and football still dominates the sports business landscape in such a big way. So Mike, let's jump right in with that. You've been in the business a long time. This opportunity presented itself to you. You are now teaching the business of football. Talk about that to, to get us going. Yeah, great to be with you guys. And uh, it was just a really good um, opportunity where uh, I talked to Scott Rosner for quite a while about maybe doing something. And um, it's been a great opportunity. I, I, I've learned quite a bit from the students. And I think the whole idea of the course guys is to be a mile wide and an inch deep. I had the great fortune of going to Tulane Law School and um, I studied sports law under a gentleman named Gary Roberts. And Gary was one of the attorneys at a firm called Covington and Burlig, mm. whose uh, notable lead attorney for, through much of the NFL litigation was a gentleman named Paul Tagliabue, who was the commissioner of the NFL before Roger Goodell. And when they were done with um, all their work, a lot of the big cases that happened in 82, 86, uh, Paul went on obviously to the NFL and his career. Gary Roberts started sports, sports law program at Tulane. And I was really like just captivated by Gary, uh, his intelligence, his passion for sports law. And um, really that kind of gave me, gave the foundation to my career, which was just unbelievably great fortune of being in the right place at the right time at Tulane and, when the whole world changed. But anyway, the course really started off with like a lot of the things that Gary talked about the foundation of sports law and how it, the litigation impacted the NFL. And I think a lot of it goes back to the early sixties where Pete Rozelle and Wellington Marrow got into the room and just talked about what's the best for the NFL and this whole idea of revenue sharing. And if, if, if there was one decision in the NFL, in my opinion, in the last, hundred years that was the most impactful I would say that that was it and really what the course is guys is we're, we start with that and we went into league governance and 
social and ethical issues that are challenging the NFL, the Rooney Rule, for example, all the social injustice movement that we're seeing in our society, how that impacts the NFL. And then we move right through uh, four weeks of running a team. So brought in um, a formal general, former general manager, brought in um, a coaching agent who represents uh, Eric Bieniemy among many others to see what it's really like to represent coaches in these deals, brought in somebody that works for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just had a big hand in signing Tom Brady, um, Jeff Pash from the NFL, Tom DePasso from the NFL PA. We got a couple other really, really dynamic speakers coming up as we transition into the next sort of group of classes, which is going to be on um, the future. So, and the challenges. So things like injuries and concussions and understanding gambling and revenue and opportunities and things that keep, you know, teams up at night. So we're, we're moving quickly and we're going through a lot of different, um, you know, sort of like touch points that, the leagues and the teams deal with. And then one of the things that um, we just kind of landed on recently is to make sure that each of the students have a uh, deliverable in terms of when they're done that they can present to hopefully a, a future employer for them. Because one of the things that I've told our students is I really want to help them get to where they want to go. You know, I know how fortunate I've been in been able to run two NFL teams and now I want to be able to help them achieve whatever their respective dreams may be. So for them to do a project that they feel could help market themselves to whatever area they're interested from analytics to revenue generation, whatever it may be, let's put a project together that will help towards fulfillment of their requirements for the course, but also simultaneously help them market themselves. Mike, Mike, I've got a question. Um, Oh, thanks, John. Um, so it sounds like that sounds quite interesting, and God knows there's a lot to talk about. You no, know, one of the things we're going to do in my class in digital, of course, is the rise of wearable technology, player sensors, player tracking, et cetera, and some of the uh, both uh, privacy, uh, ethical, and legal issues associated with that vis-a-vis -vis players associations. Do you touch on that? And we'd love to get a quick opinion on that specific point, because the technology seems to be moving a little faster than the ability for general managers and owners to deal with it. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a fair assessment, but that's my sense. So um, between my time with uh, the Jets and the Dolphins, I had the great fortune of uh, representing coaches myself. So I was incredibly lucky. I did Steve Kerr's deal with the Golden State Warriors, and David Blatt's deal with uh, the Cavaliers and built out a really good coaching practice. While I was doing that, I also did some consulting for a gentleman named Steve Ross, who owns the Dolphins, and that's how we got to know each other. And my responsibilities for him was in uh, athletic performance and sort of um, optimization of individual athletes, sort of how they maximize their abilities. So I went to Europe and spent a lot of time at AC Milan, Bayern Munich, and that's where the world's going. And um, uh, I'm really fascinated by it, just the fact that all of us here on this call, the way we metabolize anything we ingest and what we should take in our bodies and how different it is for each one of us. Tracking those, that information is really about optimizing performance and the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of that as it relates to collectively bargain rights is a really interesting conversation because you certainly could say that, that hey, 15, 20 years ago, that's not a mandatory, mandatory term of uh, employment in terms of what should be covered under the CBA and players should not be required to wear certain tracking devices. With that said, 
the inverse of that is this is an investment for you. This is an investment in your performance and we're using it to get information that's going to help you and us as the team. So I, I think as the technology continues to evolve, evolve, get more sophisticated, I think the players associations respectfully will come along those way. Cause it's not, you're not tracking to see if they went to Bermuda for the weekend, right? Like this is used for, I would like to think not for nefarious reasons. So, but as, as anything else, you know, Jeff Pastor had a very insightful comment when he spoke to us, he talked about, you know, we negotiated a CBA, which we thought was going to be for 10 years. It turned out to be for 30 days because they were able to get that agreement done. And then, you know, COVID hit. So um, the world continues to change. And I think like any other relationship, when it's founded in trust, respect, and sort of like what's mutually beneficial, I think you can come up with pragmatic solutions. Mike, just a quick follow-up on that. So when general managers deal with each other now and talk about potential trades and they get to the point where they're, um, where it's more serious and they're trading, I don't know, statistical information or whatever, are, are they allowed to share any player biometric data or performance data that's been collected while the player's been an employee of the first team? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there are certain like collectively bargain uh, procedures in place in terms of like, we're going to trade Tom from team A to team B, your medical records will go. Obviously there's, you know, issues with um, HIPAA that, you know, are carved out within the CBA as it relates to the biometric stuff. That's, I've always, you know, we, we wouldn't give out any information without a player's uh, sort of approval and most that we would just keep it. And most teams are going to be somewhat, I mean, they're going to collect their own information the way they want to use it and collect their respective baselines. And candidly, one of the things that's really interesting to me is um, every climate's a little bit different and that's impactful. So working for the Jets, um, how a player, some of that biometrical information is going to be materially different than if you're in South Florida with the Dolphins. So um, I'm not sure all of it would be applicable anyway. It's funny you mention that because when we, Tom and I were working at Bloomberg Sports doing some stuff, one of the, the biggest factors that we were able to put into this fantasy business that they had built was weather and how weather impacted people. And a lot of people didn't think about weather, especially for, for games that are outdoors. But um, the question I, I wanted to bring up was about culture and the places you've worked and the people who've influenced you. How important, and, and by the way, the coaches that, that you've actually negotiated contracts for now too. So when, when marrying those people together, how important is culture right now? And then when you look at leadership, who are the people that you look up to? You, know, you mentioned a few that are kind of the epitome that on that pedestal of leadership. So culture and leadership today, and how has it changed since you were running a team not that long ago? Yeah, um, I, I can kind of embody that. You know, one person to me, you know, fits, fits all of that, which is Coach Parcells. Um, when I got the job, I was very fortunate. I was 27 years old. We're at the Jets. He's the head coach and GM and offered me the job with meeting me, which is a much longer story, but basically coach Belichick had recommended me. We had worked, I worked for him in Cleveland. So I walk in, I was beyond nervous, just given I knew the iconic person I was looking at who I growing up in the Northeast saw, and more importantly was petrified of. And he goes, look, I make this really big. He called me Mr. T. He goes, Mr. T, I'm gonna make this really, really easy for you. Your job is to sign players, and I go by. And if you do a good job of that, you're gonna stick around for a minute. I'm gonna ship 
back to Boston, be a lawyer up there. Do you have any questions? No, sir. He goes, let me ask you a question. When the trapper comes off the side of the mountain, nobody has to ask him if he's a good trapper. They just look at the side of his horse and he either has pelts or he doesn't. No one has to know whether or not he's a good trapper. We just go by what we see and we're going to do the same here. Are there any questions? No? Okay, wow. let's get to work. Wow. And that was it. And the standard was a standard. And his induction speech for our audience into Canton, Ohio, which I think was maybe eight minutes long, is everything I believe what our country really should be about on its best days, which was, he, he basically said, hey, look, guys, this is in Canton. Our doors for an NFL locker room are wide open. We want you all to come in. Everybody is welcome. But we are a self-selecting meritocracy. And we don't care if you're white, black, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, Jewish, Hindu, Baptist. If you can help us win, you're going to stick around. If not, we're going to kick you out. And when you win and walk together forever, something mythical happens. And ladies and gentlemen, why do we know that? How do I know that? Because when I fell and I needed help, they all came running. And that's really culture in a nutshell. It's when everyone is treated the same. I worked for Coach Belichick. I was making $300 a week. I had driven from New Orleans. And basically, he's like, hey, your job is to drive people to the airport. I graduated with honors from law school. I'm making $300 a week. <laughs> and basically, he's like, and we're going to negotiate this contract. And 6 o'clock, I want the three best reasons why we should do it. And when you have a sort of like blind approach to meritocracy, you get the best of everybody. And that to me is culture. That is leadership. And I think it's also about being authentic. Another story was, um, you know, it's hard to say that I represented Steve Kerr. I would say that I had the privilege of working with Steve Kerr for a year and a half to get him ready to become a head coach. He was at the time a broadcaster. And one of the things we spent a lot of time on was like meeting with other people. So he wanted to go spend time with Pete Carroll. And I said, you know, before you go up there, you got to say something, Steve, like this is Pete's fourth head coach. You know, he had been with the Jets, the Patriots, USC, and then obviously Seattle. And it was interesting because I was a little concerned that he was going to go there and not, maybe not be fulfilled. And I'll never forget, he called me from the sidelines of a Seattle Seahawks practice. He goes, I'm going to be a really, really good head coach. I got this. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He said, I am watching a guy coach and lead a team in the most authentic way of Pete Carroll being Pete Carroll. It was one of those like crazy uh, preseason practices where they had like, you know, like army rangers coming out of like the river, like just, you know, Pete's always doing interesting things. It goes, you know, I can't be pop. I can't be Phil. I gotta be me, but I'm watching a guy be really effective. And then fast forward, we get the deal done. He signs this massive contract with golden state. And I said, you know, Steve, congratulations. This is awesome. Couldn't be happy for you. What are you going to do now? He goes, oh, I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm like, why are you going to Vegas? He said, I got to go coach the summer league and make mistakes. He goes, I've never coached before. I got to get familiar with rotations. I got to get familiar with timeouts. And that was like very inspiring for me about having a growth mindset in terms of knowing that, you know, we all have stuff to learn. We always can get better. And that was a great form of leadership and culture to me that when you embed people like Bill Belichick or Bill Parcells or Steve Kerr, totally different styles, totally different approaches, but very similar. Bill Belichick, great coach. I'm in the building 10 minutes. He wants my feedback on a you know, uh, contract. Steve Kerr wants to fly to Seattle to watch Pete 
Carol, he wants to go to Las Vegas. It's all the same. It's about people that don't have the answers and want to get better. Um, one thing off of that, uh, and it's funny, shout out for the Flying Coach podcast that, that Steve and, and Pete did this summer, which was great, um, the five episodes they did. But um, talk about time management uh, in your role now, even importantly, and then what you saw in terms of winning, how important and how, how, um, how much do you look at time management and, and, and carving out your day? Is it important that you do everything in a specific place or are you able to flow and figure out what's important? Yeah, I don't think I'm great with that. I, I feel like and you talk to a lot of other people that get these positions of leadership. And what happens is you have this incredible like inflection point, which is like in my case, like I'm a fundamentally not a very confident, secure person. So I've always been able to achieve by outworking everybody and out preparing everybody. And I've never walked into any situation I've always walked through the room knowing that I put more time and effort into the preparation than whomever I'm dealing with. And that always gave me confidence. And um, like for me, when I got these jobs, it became like the exact opposite of that because now it's not about like me coming in with like my to-do list here. It's about everybody else's to-do list. So I could leave and be unbelievably frustrated. I got nothing done, but I was able to help others get to where they needed to go for that day. So um, that's a really hard thing. And I'm a big believer too. And as like, you know, you always hear the stories like the undrafted free agents that make it like, I always see the lens of like, I was the unpaid intern like three different times in my career. So I take every call, every email, every text, every, every you know, just to help others. Cause I've been there and I know what it's like, and it's important for me to help others get to where they want to go. So it's hard. And I do send emails sometimes at crazy times of the day. Um, and I wish I had a little bit more like rigor in the process. I think I do to a certain extent, um, but, it, but it's hard. That's cool. Hey, Mike, that I want to just go back uh, quickly to the culture question and ask a question that's on a lot of our minds right now because of what we're witnessing in the NFL with, with, the, with the Bucks and Brady. So uh, one of the big stories right now, of course, is that with Brady's influence, the Bucks are bringing in Antonio Brown or have brought in Antonio Brown. Does that harmonious working relationship that you described, that good culture between general manager and coach get disrupted when you happen to have a bona fide superstar with outsized influence? So I'm thinking of LeBron James in the NBA or Brady in the NFL. Did that change the equation a little? Yeah, actually, I think it's uh, an opportunity. And I've been in that situation where we brought in players that have had bumps in the road. And, I, and the conversation is a real easy one. And I would say this to Antonio Brown with Tom Brady sitting right next to him, which is like, look, Antonio, I could give an F what happened in the past. It doesn't matter. You are a Tampa Bay Buccaneer and you are here for today. And guess what? If today goes great, you're going to be here tomorrow. If you're late, if you're on social media, if you didn't know or didn't understand, like this is the warning, this is it. We are going to stack one good day on top of the next. We are going to stand shoulder to shoulder. We're going to help you on the field and off the field. So, this could hopefully be a happy, productive, successful endeavor for both you and us. But understand this. There is no ifs and second, I didn't understand. Don't come in. Don't say goodbye. It's over. So as long as we're clear that the standards are the standards, we are going to collectively try to take advantage of this opportunity to win a championship this year. Sounds like you've given that speech before. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> nice. I've also been on the other end of that speech too, by the way. Yeah, yeah as we all have, right. Hey, Mike, talk a little bit about your day job now. How has that changed? What What is it different? Do you like it? What are the things that, that you kind of take away from that that you can draw from your past experience? And by the way, yeah. we should mention, jokes. I neglected to add, oh. excuse me, Mike, that the day job is being a, a high-profile commentator on NFL uh, for ESPN. And his, I guess, night job would be the Columbia teaching, but the ESPN right. that's, job that's is the, the big job one. That I right. Okay. So a couple things. Um, I, I always try to meet or exceed uh, expectations. So I had the great fortune of replacing a, a gentleman named Bill Apollian, who's a Hall of Fame GM. And I just challenged myself that whatever he did, I wanted to crush it. I want to make it bigger, better, longer, double the amount of work. So again, my philosophy is I say uh, yes to everything. So um, every podcast, every Saturday night, I mean, I was doing shows on Christmas, whatever it took. And, uh, and I also believe, like, as I've gotten older, like, to lean into specialists. So I have a broadcast agent. I have a broadcast coach. I have a public speaking coach. And anything I do, I want to meet or exceed expectations. So um, I thought I started off, like, frankly, like, pretty much below average. Um, I have a broadcast coach that watches all my tapes. I get fined if I use incorrect words. Um, wow. I want to be really good at it. It's really important that I, that I do well at it. So I Joe, we, we got to get that guy's phone number. I think we could we could use it maybe. Hey, yeah, Mike, yeah. let me just do a quick follow on that. Um, how many days a week are you typically on air? Uh, it depends on the time of year. I mean, we well, during, include, during we, the season, let's say during the season. Yeah. So uh, it's about four with one day, one day prominently being TV, the other three predominantly being radio, but that's, it's a little bit different. Like this past week, I was on TV a little bit more with the trade deadline. Um, and then the off season, it's a little bit more, you know, my role really in the play guys is that, look, you have the Adam Schefter's of the world that are going to tell you what's happening. My role in the play is to say why it's happening. Yeah. So that's, so that's my question, Mike. So if you know, you're going to be on, on a, uh, like, let's say tomorrow, uh, I'm just making this up for argument's sake at three o'clock in the afternoon, and you're going to be on an hour long segment or two hour long segment. How do you prep for that? Like, what are you reading? What's your go-to to make sure? Because, you know, you emphasize the importance of preparation. How do you prepare yourself for that? Yeah, so a, a little shameless plug here. You go to the 3013.com. So um, I started a think tank. So I have um, about 40 people that uh, former head coaches, former GMs, and a whole bunch of grad students, a lot of them uh, from University of Massachusetts. And we have a think tank. Um, and I started it to make me the best broadcaster possible over a year ago. And it's just grown. And we have a newsletter. We have weekly calls and we just talk about everything going on in the league. So um, I just take the best ideas that they have and they're way better than my own. And um, not only does it make me a better broadcaster, but it just keeps me incredibly sharp. Um, we did our call this week. We, we took the four offensive tackles that were drafted in the first round. We watched them on Zoom. We, we ranked them. We took Coach Belichick's comments that he made about why he felt they were up against the salary cap. And we did a complete autopsy on why we didn't think that was true. So I have reports here that I got to start reading for my show on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. that are in my inbox that I'll probably do tomorrow. So I do a Jet Giant show. I have a grad student on each team. I have everything I need and I got to go study it. Um, so I, I feel like I just like kind of live the preparation. Is that in the public domain? Is that accessible for us yeah. fans? Okay. Yeah, so 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30,
We also have a newsletter that we put out and um, it's kind of a open source. Again, the whole idea is uh, it helps idea. me, but I want to help others get to where they want to go. Joe, did you know about it? No, I didn't. And now, of course, because you seem to know everything about the communications aspects of uh, sports. So, so I'm subscribing to another newsletter now because I don't have enough, but that's a good one. Yeah. Um, now, before we let you go, Mike, um, just a back on the time management side and, and how you kind of play that out when you when you and you talk to a lot of young people, obviously, um, what are some of the priorities that you tell people starting out? Um, obviously, hustle and, and work through, but um, the work-life balance you talked about, Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr and how they handle things. And do you spend 24 hours in an office? Do you spend 10 hours in an office? Um, what's the advice you give to people as to how they balance that out? Or do you just not worry about having them have a life and having, you know, devoting as much time as they want to their, their career? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, I don't think I've handled that great. You know, I was fortunate I got married a little bit. Um, I met my wife. She was working in New York City. Uh, she was living on the Upper East Side. It was, it was tough to be candid because I'm chasing her on the Upper East Side. She's a night person and I'm working for Parcells on Long Island. He's a morning person, so it didn't leave a lot of in-between time. Um, but for me, you know, I, I put it all into my career. Um, I left like my infrastructure in the Northeast, friends, family, and just moved away. And, uh, and I'm not saying that's right or for everybody, but for me, that's how I knew I had to get ahead. And when you're in the formative years of your career, whether it's fair, unfair, my candid two senses, like your competition's all in and it's not for everybody. And there are no bars on the windows. But if you really want to do it, you got to grind your tail off. There's, they're just, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Cool. Want to wrap us up, Tom? Yeah. So, so Mike, we like to ask all of our guests two questions. We've addressed a little bit of this already. Uh, the first is how you stay smart. So I'll just ask you this part of it and carving out the football prep part of it. What business stuff do you like to follow and read about, uh, read to keep up with the sports industry, especially now that you have this new academic responsibility? What, what do you like to check out? Sports Business Journal, you know, it's a must. Sports Business Weekly, um, you know, following all those people on social. Um, I think it's, a, it's mandatory. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the second one, Mike, is, and again, you've, you've addressed this a little, including in the last answer to Joe's question, but um, any specific career advice beyond what you've said already, because we do have a lot of students listening, as you know, as well as alumni and uh, all kinds of folks in the business on the younger side who are thinking about career development, getting jobs, internships, et cetera. Yeah, uh, mindset, which is um, you're not looking for a job, you're building a career. And basically always serve whoever you work for by over-delivering whatever they're looking for. Understand what their pain point is and how do you serve them? And how do you create sustainable and distinguishable value? Why you? Like, what are you going to bring to the table that nobody else on the planet can bring? And then whoever you work for, a boss, a client, an owner, whoever it may be, like, find out how to serve them and exceed the person's expectations. Cool. That's a nice, simple answer. Uh, thank you, Mike. That was excellent. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me. This is great. Joe, do you want to finish? finish yep, this I'll one? wrap us up here. Uh, but once again, we've been speaking to Mike Tannenbaum. We talked about uh, 33rdteam.com, which we're going to have everyone subscribe to now and you know, hopefully triple your subscriber numbers. Not really, but close. Uh, but once again, for the Cusp Show, for Mike Tannenbaum, uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. We'll see you down the road.